Poland has a 600-year vodka-making tradition. Belvedere is produced in the oldest continuously operating vodka distillery in the world, which is actually 111 years. But yeah, it's interesting. The first written record of vodka is in Polish from 1405. So very long history, very long tradition. And on one level, what what is current in terms of what people are drinking is a little bit cyclical. Because each generation wants, you don't have a different sort of staple or wrinkle from their parents. But what has been true of vodka, it's the most consumed category of all spirits in the world. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. It's amazing how one can stumble into an industry and then years later end up becoming one of its most successful leaders. It happened to Rodney Williams. Today, Rodney is the CEO of Belvedere Vodka, one of the world's most iconic vodka brands. He is and has been responsible for the development, growth, and business vision for the entire company. In this week's episode, Rodney talks about leading the charge in the global rollout of Made With Nature, Belvedere's first brand platform that was introduced during the COVID-19 pandemic, rooted in its all-natural philosophy. He has been focusing on sustainability and spirits for several years, and he believes post-pandemic, it is here to stay. I really enjoyed sitting down and talking to Rodney about his remarkable career. When I caught up with Rodney, he began by discussing the unique story of how he ended up in an industry that ended up shaping the rest of his career. Rodney, thank you so much for joining me today on How Success Happens. I do love your background here. I have to tell our our audience who is listening to this podcast, Rodney's got a lot of Belvedere bottles, I assume, and probably other spirits (laughs) behind him. So Rodney, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. It's my honor. It's my honor. And I understand you have a spirits background as well. So We can swap notes at some point. Yes, I probably know many guys and gals that you worked with uh, over the years. As I had mentioned, we talked about my uh, original business, TSE Sports Entertainment, and then GoViva. We did plenty of incentive programs for many liquor brands and companies. And as I was telling you, it always seemed like people in the spirits business were just low-key, easy to work with. Do do you find that? I think that's true. And you know, I think the real reason why is that people drink when they're happy and they drink when they're sad. So (laughs) so it's not a bad business to be in. Yes. They get happy when they do drink. And, you know, I want to talk about COVID for sure and going into that and how that what the implications were on on your business. I know today you're the president and CEO of of Belvedere. And I want to ask you, though, how how did you get your start in the spirits business? Yeah, well, for me, it was really um, serendipity. I started out in packaged goods at Procter and and Johnson & Johnson and then went over to do the launch of OnStar for for General Motors. And um, a buddy of mine from Procter, 
had started a company out in California, dot-com. He said, what are you going to tell your grandkids? Dot-com revolution is here. It's 2000. You got to get out here. So I came out to California for a dot-com to turn into a dot-bomb. Oh, yeah. But Robert Mondavi was looking for someone with a classic marketing background because they they had some, some brands they needed to turn around. So that's literally how I got in. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time for a change. That's interesting. You know, thinking about back to that time and for some of our younger listeners, it's, it's almost crazy for me to say this, but for some of our younger listeners who might not recall that there were tons of these companies, right, that were just popping up and they were going to all revolutionize yeah. every industry. What made you get up, you know, go, going from a Procter and & Gamble and, and a company like that where you look at kind of the, the largest businesses in the world and, and taking a shot what did make you go for it at that time? Well, you know, I was intrigued because you know, every brand at a, at a P&G or J&J understands its, its DNA and what the core mission is that, that they're bringing to the consumer. And at the time, before going over to, to GM and this tech startup, I was uh, the group product director for what was called wound care, Band-Aid and sports medicine, home health care. And in the case of Band-Aid, you know, you know the product's essence is about a mother's kiss. That that is once you understand that's the gestalt of a bandage for a five-year-old kid. You then are able to really hone the messaging and uh, the positioning of the brain. So what was fascinating about that time was that technology and technologists were really, really focusing on how do we make life for consumers better, easier, more convenient. So from that standpoint, I thought it was really fascinating. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, it was, you know, and it still is with with technology today changing so many industries. And, you know, with that question, before I get into the, you know, your first start at Mondavi, I got to ask you, how has technology played a role within the, you know, wine and spirits business? Well, I think it's it's played an important role in terms of um, the back end and increasingly, you know, a critical role in terms of marketing with, with AI and what can be done in terms of really understanding metadata in real time and acting accordingly. And then, of course, for, for Belvedere, maybe we can talk about it at some point, we've invested quite a bit in terms of sustainability and brought on a whole biocast, bio, biomass capture facility at the distillery to make ourselves carbon neutral by this time next year. So technology is widely and broadly embraced, I think, in businesses that one wouldn't at first pass think of technology businesses, but it, it plays a pretty central role. Yeah, that's why I was super curious. You know, you can kind of, people can see and understand maybe technology and how it plays a role and don't realize how much technology there actually is, even in a business like a wine and spirits mm -hmm. business. So going back to that, that first job at Mondavi, what was that like for you? Were, were there any reservations, you know, in terms of taking that position? And did you think you were going to enjoy it? Obviously, the way it seems like you've enjoyed it up until now, and it seems like it's been good to you. Yeah, no, I was extremely excited. I've always liked wine a lot and had taken wine, wine classes, you know, previously. But I think what really drew me was, you know, Mandavi has been such a pioneer for uh, for California wines, and in some quarters, 
his name was synonymous you know, to California. Yeah. And so it was really exciting to work on such a, a pioneering and iconic business and help it, you know, become even more, more vibrant and, and, and dynamic. And I think, too, thinking back you know, 20 years ago, that's when wine was really also embracing new audiences. Like you didn't have to be an enophile, you know, with your own wine cave to really appreciate wine. And I think some of the collaborations that the Mandavi organization had, Mr. Mandavi and Mrs. Mandavi in particular, with people like Julia Child and Jacques Pepin to try to democratize the notion of wine and make it much more approachable. It was really exciting. Yeah, I bet. So, you know, you start at Robert Mondavi and you have had an incredible career. You've obviously have gone up the ladder to a, a top position as a president and CEO of a major, major brand and, and company. And, um, you know, what, what was that journey like for you? Was there ever a time that you maybe thought spirits wasn't for you? And I'm sure you've gotten approached with offers. And was there ever a time you thought about maybe doing something else in the past 20 years? Well, I mean, I think um, there are lots of interesting businesses that contribute to culture, but I've been fortunate to be assigned to brands and businesses that have really been connected in some important ways. So after Mandavi, I ended up working for Jackson Family Wines and the Kendall Jackson business, and then subsequently came to Moet Hennessy to first work on the Hennessy business in the U.S. And, um, and they have a pretty storied history. I've been in your first sold here in 1794. So very, very rich trove of milestones to, uh, to remind the consumers of. And Belvedere itself was the first luxury or super premium vodka brand. And a lot of people are surprised from its inception has always been all natural. So being able to really be a part of making the, the environment, sustainability, naturalness more resonant to consumers, given their interest in this, has been really, really gratifying for me. And that's what's kept me anchored in the, in the wine and spirits world. Well, it really seems like, especially nowadays, and, and you talk about sustainability, and, and I know you guys are doing a ton. It seems like that is one of your drivers and now a, a driver of the brand. Yeah. So it's always been true of the brand. But I think if you look at the business writ large, Belvedere has long been committed to connecting communities and really enhancing them. So Belvedere had about a decade-long association with Bono's Red Campaign, which was designed to uh, eradicate HIV and AIDS in Africa, as well as um, some really charismatic and outspoken spokespeople like uh, Chelsea Handler and uh, Janelle Monet. And that the image that they projected of it's okay to be an iconoclast and have your opinions and challenge convention, I think was, was, was really true of, uh, of Belvedere and, um, and exciting for our, for our consumer base. Yeah. Validating. When you look back though, and, and doing a little bit of research personally, I am definitely a big vodka drinker and you're making me much more of a Belvedere fan. I have oh, to- bless you. Bless <laughs> you. Bless you. <laughs> Not that I can move many cases for you personally myself, but I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> 
especially after COVID and this summer. But, you know, going back, Belvedere's brand, I think I read something like goes back 600 years in Poland. And how do you take kind of these heritage brands and, and are they cool nowadays or how do you make them, you know, how do you make them cool? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually it's actually Poland has a 600 year vodka making tradition. Belvedere is produced in the oldest continuously operating vodka distillery in the world, which is actually 111 years. But yeah, it's interesting. The first written record of vodka is in Polish from 1405. So very long history, very long tradition. And on one level, what what is current in terms of what people are drinking is a little bit cyclical because each generation wants, you don't have a different sort of staple or wrinkle from their parents. But what has been true of vodka, it's the most consumed category of all spirits in the world. So it's, it's generally between a quarter to as much as a third of what's consumed in any country. And there are other, there are other things like whiskeys and tequilas and agaves that are super popular now and growing rapidly. But vodka is still the biggest. And so there's cyclically an opportunity to reintroduce it to new drinkers in terms of cocktails, in terms of innovations that we've been busy trying to... Uh, to satiate in terms of needs. We launched something a couple of years ago called uh, Single Estates, where we were able to prove terroir matters in vodka. So we took the same grain of rye because Belvedere is made of rye, sort of separates it from the wheat and the potato and the corn-based uh, uh, other vodka. And we planted this rye in a, in a state in the Baltic, near the Baltics in the north of Poland. And the same exact rye in a state in the west of Poland, where the weather front is uh, more temperate, it's more continental. So the flavor is even, of the rye is even more robust. If you've never had vodka in your entire life, you can tell the difference between these two, which is amazing. I mean, it surprises people because many people think of vodka as a neutral mixing spirit. But Belvedere, because it's made with rye, has always been committed to vodka having having taste and character. I mean, if you, if you think of making a sandwich with white bread versus rye bread, it's the rye that's going to have the flavor. Yeah. And that's true. That's true with vodka too. More from our guest, but first a word from our sponsors. Social media content is vital to any entrepreneurial venture these days. I recently started a company called Amaze Media Labs. We create branded podcasts for companies and own several podcast networks. Each of our networks has multiple social media platforms. And until recently, it's been so tedious to create content for each of these separate platforms. That is until I started using Issue, the easiest way to make your creative ideas come to life and share everywhere you wanna be seen. It's been a complete game changer for us. Basically, Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content from marketing materials to magazines to flipbooks and brochures and more. With Issue, you create your content once and distribute it everywhere without reformatting. Your content is already optimized for engagement and ready to share. It's really incredible and super easy to use. Nowadays, every business is its own media company and having Issue on your side to create and distribute your content will be your secret weapon. So get started with Issue today for free. Or if you sign up for a premium account, 
you'll get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code HSH. That's I-S-S-U-U.com slash podcast and use promo code HSH at checkout for your free account or 50% off your premium account. And we're back. I want to talk about you've worked your way through a bunch of different businesses. You're now CEO. And in terms of your management style, how would you define how would you define that in terms of how you manage? What's helped me is that I have a very collaborative style, and that's the way I, I like to engage with others, be it as a sounding board or as part of a team. And I think the three things that we've, we've tried to affect, one is a level of empathy. And, um, you know, it served us well during this pandemic in that it's impacted people so differently so differently given one's individual circumstances. So really being empathetic to that point, to the point that, you know, different people have different crosses that they're bearing has helped us. I think a level of um, transparency, one of the challenges in working in, in the corporate world is the signals of, are you doing well, or do you need to do more of something or less of something aren't so clear. And we try to be really, really clear about that. And then lastly is, is authenticity. I mean, just everything anchors back to our DNA and our heritage and who we authentically are. And we hope to create an environment where we can have team members hail from, you know, disparate experiences and backgrounds and all come together with best ideas win. That's the ideal that we're, we're after. Yeah. I mean, you sound like a, you would be a great guy to work for, especially when you talk about authenticity and transparency. And, you know, I think that's what everyone wants, especially people who work for large companies. And we have many listeners that do. Did the pandemic, it, it sounds like this was who you were prior to the pandemic, but did the pandemic change you as a leader in any way? Um, I think so. I mean, I I, I think it added uh, a lot more depth. Maybe I had beforehand. I mean, I I hadn't anticipated in the first, you know, days of the pandemic that it's the young members of our team who maybe, you know, aren't married and, and aren't in even their home country who, through being isolated, really have, you know, some difficult challenges. Or folks who are parents and kids are doing online learning and you're all in, you know, cramped living conditions. So I think the pandemic helped me realize that what I don't know is much more fast that I probably recognize, even about the colleagues with whom I, I work closely. And to be just much more open and present to what others are experiencing, positively and negatively, so that we can, as a team and myself as a, as a manager, be attentive to those things. So I think that that definitely changed with the pandemic. I think the other thing that it did, though, is it gave us a lot of validation at the same time. So. Um, we were working on a new campaign and a new product launch, all scheduled for May of last year, in the middle of the pandemic. And we thought a lot about, do you cancel it? Do you postpone it until the world writes itself? And the campaign was to really bring together this idea of Belvedere being all natural that people always tell me, I had no idea. So the campaign is made 
with nature is really more than a campaign. It's a platform for us. It informs what we do in terms of innovation, what we're doing in terms of sustainability and CSR. And we went forward with it because I think with all of us sitting at home and impacted by these natural forces, people became much more cognizant of what they're putting in their bodies and, um, and much more interested in, uh, in the quality and the simplicity maybe of the uh, ingredients. So in a way, the pandemic validated what we'd been doing already, some of it. Yeah, no, it sounds like you were ahead of it and already going in that direction. And I'm curious to your thoughts if you think that this is going to be a a long-term change to what people want to do in terms of consuming healthier products, which I would hope it would be. Or is this something that people might forget about in a few years from now and really just start going back to looking at things like price and, you know. What yeah, it's an, it's an interesting question, but I don't think this is a passing fan. When we do research with millennials and older Gen Zers, you know, they tell us pretty, pretty direct language that they're not so happy about their inheritance from an environmental standpoint that they've gotten from generations before them. And they want to do something about it and they want to act in the present, not in future or down the road. They really want to see action. And so they're both consider these things about being all natural. We've even launched um, organic uh, botanicals this year, being organic and certified as such and and practicing sustainable agricultural um, strategies as part of their considerations. And certainly brands that are not acting in accordance with environmental responsibility run the liability of of paying um, a huge price. And I think for parents who had young adults at home over the pandemic, some of these, these viewpoints have probably influenced them a little bit more than they might have uh, before pre-pandemic. No, I, I bet. And it's, it is amazing. You know, one of the great things about millennials and being a Gen Xer myself or older Gen Zs is they really do have this goodness in terms of wanting to make their environment better and wanting to make the world better. And I, I think, you know, wanting to experience things as opposed to buying things. And, and, and I, I love that. I love that part about them, which is, mm. which is phenomenal. And mm. you know, I want to ask too, how difficult was it for your business during the pandemic? I'm, I'm really curious with the restaurants and these on-premise accounts that were closed, but was that a difficult time for you and some of your partners? Yeah, very challenging. And nightclubs closed as well. And those three make up the core of the, the on-premise um, channel. And, um, you know, in some parts of the world just was shut down completely. So while um, we've overperformed at retail and in e-retail and e-commerce and it's been great and grateful for that, this did represent some some big challenges. I mean, first and foremost, these are great partners of ours and we wanted to do everything we could creatively to be supportive during this time. So um, one of the things that we focused on was a batching program. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever you go into a bar, you know, order a drink in a restaurant, a nightclub, they're making it fresh. They're making it on the spot. And many jurisdictions allow drinks to go with to-go orders, you know, just to support these businesses. But these guys didn't typically 
batch ingredients in advance so much. So we created a program so we could really help mixologists know in an instant different cocktail recipes that batch really well over different periods of time and provided some of the tools to help do that. So yeah, it was it was a big challenge. And of course, you know, our parent organization, Roy and Hennessy, made contributions to Bartender Guild and the restaurant associations as well. Yeah, no, it's great to see. I live here in New York City and it's really sad to see. You know, I, I walk down the street even now. I'm more uptown and in midtown still really struggling because a lot of the workers haven't come back and a lot of the restaurants there. But there's still a lot of bars and restaurants that have gone out and I hope will come back with new restaurants. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely an eternal optimist and I, I think it will happen. I started to see some. Do you think that'll be, I guess it's different in each place, but do you, do you think that'll be quicker to happen than longer in terms of restaurants and bars coming back and new ones opening? I think it will, especially in terms of new ones opening. So, you know, inherently humans are social beings. We want to be out. We want to engage with others. And it's a core to one's existence in New York City. So I, I, I do think they'll return. Uh, they may be quite different from maybe some of the restaurants that we had previously. So there may be new restaurateurs or new sort of uh, generation of restaurant operators. And um, the whole convenience element of delivery and the set of expectations that goes with that are probably going to stick around because people really got got used to that. But it will be interesting to see in terms of ghost kitchens and some of the other trends that we saw, whether those will continue afoot or uh, people will harken back to uh, to the familiar. Yeah. And as a business and running a business like Belvedere, after the pandemic, have 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 there been changes? Have you made any change? I know a lot of companies now are kind of struggling with, you know, a hybrid approach, being in office. I know your business, you have to have people out in the field, I would imagine. Um, and you did already. But anything that you think you will change or implement uh, going forward? Well, the medical um, experts expect that there are going to be a few more waves of the pandemic yet. So we, we don't think that we've seen the last of it, but we'll probably learn how to effectively coexist within our, in our midst. So being out, being engaged, checking in on restaurants and, and bars and, and retailers is certainly a core operation of our business that will continue, uh, we think. In terms of the office, you know, we've learned during the pandemic that we can be highly productive in much of what we do without literally being in the office. Of course, on the production side, you got to be in the <laughs> yeah, Someone needs product. Yeah. But there are many functions um, that could work um, remotely and have worked well. So I think going forward, we'll still find ways to enable people to work at least some of the week, some of the time remotely. But in terms of team building and esprit de corps and with the organization, just having the experience of being together, you know, passing each other at the water cooler is so endemic to, uh, to healthy work culture that uh, we'll, we'll really want to encourage and support people 
to be able to come in as needed. Yeah, I think it's so important in terms of, as you said, we're social beings. People need to be around people. Mm-hmm. As much as it was, you know, I looked at it the first couple months were great until I had kids at home, homeschooling, you know, mm-hmm. you know on the Zoom. And I realized more so I, I was like this summer, I'm just trying to get out as much as possible. And I'm sure you've seen that too with sales picking up and people yeah. just needing to get out and be with each other. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, of course, things haven't settled completely in terms of uh, the, the pandemic, but um, we've certainly seen, you know, robust retail sales. Consumers are very confident in terms of uh, making cocktails, for instance, at home, which people were intimidated about yeah. doing, you know, do I have the right accoutrement? You know, do am I able to do this? And and they're confident that they can do it. We have 150 recipes of Bel- on BelvedereVodka.com. And it's amazing the traffic that they've they've generated during the during the pandemic. So that part we definitely see will probably um, continue. But what's interesting is that in places in Europe and in North America, as they've opened up with the pandemic, so on-premise sales are beginning to, you know, uh, to run in an uptick. We haven't seen a dramatic fall off yet in terms of retail sales. So knock wood, it just uh, means that more people are engaged and, uh, and enjoying wine and spirits. Yeah, I know we don't have much time left, but I, I do want to ask you, where do you see Belvedere in, in the next few years? And where do you see yourself as a leader, someone who's been in this business for a long time? Do you see yourself in a different role or is it still as exciting for you? And I guess I asked you two questions, which is like the cardinal sin of podcasting. So, but anyway, maybe we'll start with the first one. Where do you see Belvedere in the next uh, couple of years? Well, I think, you know, Belvedere is an interesting brand because here we are talking about being organic and all natural and being um, energy carbon neutral by early next year. And yet we're also enjoyed in the night. And, you know, big agent of, of partying and, you know, conviviality and being social. And I think for a long time, people had thought this interest in, in made with nature would be incompatible with the night. But the research says, you know, young adults who are partying are still interested in, you know, doing it with the good stuff, as someone said in, in, in qualitative uh, research. And so I'm very hopeful that Belvedere is part of. Uh, the consideration set the consumers think of as the good stuff going forward. And for me, I mean, I still remember what my my boss told me when I first joined the company to work on Hennessy for the U.S. And he said, this brand has been around for centuries before you and you are a caregiver. Your charge is to uh, leave this brand in better shape than you found. And I take that to be, you know, my sort of mantra for anything I'm working on, including Belvedere. So um, I'm sure I'll be leaving it at some point uh, in very good hands and uh, on to the next adventure. Well, I know you're a very modest guy, but I, I know for a fact you did leave the Moe brand, uh, the Hennessy brand in much better shape. So you were definitely a great caregiver, but that must be pretty cool too, knowing a brand's been around that long. And when you were saying that, I was kind of thinking like, hey, I... I play for the Yankees now, but you know, then you move on. Right. And it was that kind of just with the history. And when your boss told you that, 
Did that really resonate with you? It really did. I mean, and and it made me both more intrigued to really understand the history. But of course, you know, it's a team. It's never an individual. It's always the team that um, helps drive the business um, forward. And um, we've had great teams, a great team on Hennessy brand. We have a great team on, on the Belvedere brand. And that's what's so consequential in the end. And then I think it gives people the history part, the legacy, a sense of working on something greater than what you're doing or what it is that you individually bring to the table. And that's exciting. That's exciting. Well, Rodney, I want to thank you again for coming on How Success Happens. Certainly wish you the best of luck. And uh, as I told you, I will certainly be drinking Belvedere. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you and thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. My honor. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.